if, if that person just wanted it, they would cure their cancer. Welcome, Tribe, to the Cognitive Rampage podcast. I'm your host, Adam Lowry, as usual. I am overly excited today about my guest, Lee Camp. He's an activist, comedian activist, really, uh, writer, um, movement maker, change maker. Um, I just love listening to him. He's the host of Redacted Tonight on YouTube and the host of A Moment of Clarity. It's a podcast you can get on iTunes and everywhere else. Uh, he has really changed the way people uh, take in the news, at least the way I have taken in the news. Uh, he chooses no sides, uh, comes direct. Uh, he is uncanny with his uncanny in his comedy and uh, his insight. Uh, I love listening to Lee Camp uh, every Friday night at eight on Redacted Tonight and his podcast, Moment of Clarity. But uh, it's an honor to have uh, Lee Camp on the Cognitive Rampage podcast today. The man himself, the man of the hour, Lee Camp. Hey, hey guys, how you doing? Uh, how you doing, brother? All right. Uh, thank you so much for taking time out. I know your busy day uh, to chat with me, man. No problem. Sorry for the background, but I'm hiding in one of the uh, smaller studios. I I'm taking it you technically live there. <laughs> Just about. Yeah, some of the pictures I see on Instagram with the oatmeal and the debate what john's oatmeal yeah in the in the debate there it seems like uh you know it's a 24-hour gig there yeah we i mean especially me and john f o'donnell uh john works late into the night i uh i'm often here till 10 or 11. so uh yeah it's uh it's uh it's it's uh we, we're kind of understaffed but we're proud of uh the fact that we're able to accomplish a show like this with so few people Man, I, I love it. When I found it, as as you could probably tell, as most of my fans or people watching me or listening could tell, when I found you, I went nuts. I'm like a reposter, retweeter guy, uh, like crazy of kind of the the whole movement thing you're on. You know, it's just it's it's inspiring, man. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. Yeah, it, it really is, man. I was um, I'm trying to stay focused on what I wanted to chat with you about, but that NBC report that came out trying to claim prove that uh, addiction is a brain disease has got me pretty rampaged up today you know specifically the one yeah i mean I, I largely agree with you the one positive of it is is i i do hate how people uh want to just put it off as a moral thing and say that anybody with an addiction is just you know an immoral person or a really flawed person as if we're all not flawed in our own various ways and um and you know a lot of people with addiction have uh a lot of issues that they've had to deal with and battle with in their life and and i don't think that they should be judged like you know oh they they if they just had the willpower if they just cared i mean that might be true for a couple of people it might be true for some but a lot of people it's not that easy and so i think the one positive could be that uh people stop acting like oh well if they just you know because because anyone with a disease they don't you don't say oh god if they if, if if that person just wanted it they would cure their cancer you know right yeah just just stop taken the cancer yeah i agree with you man too many times those moral influences are even pushed to what addiction really is you know doc, uh, dr carl hart you know speaks about that too that you know that it becomes this moral judgment of what addiction really is 
and they cast it down as this as if there's some weak personal choice in what it is they're doing yeah 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 when i was working in those uh in the uh, clinical and the clinics from the uh, federal government i was working in rehab facilities there uh that was the push the push was the only the 12-step program it was believe in a higher power declare yourself powerless uh, you have personal defects that are fighting against you. And this was it, man. It's the only help they were offering people. Yeah, I got, I got to tell you, most of what I know about the, uh, you know, the 12-step program, I learned from Doug Stanhope's bit about him. And uh, his, his bits about it are pretty fucking hilarious. He's like, well, well what, is, what is the cure? What do well, we help people? Well, how do you help people? And finally, they're like, oh, God, it's God. That's a, this is a really difficult disease and you're you're just prescribing god the, yeah that's it i mean and the fact it's also government funded facilities so you got spiritual religious based practices as the only offered help in a government funded facility yeah that's uh that, that's what they call uh can we curse on here yeah like a motherfucker yeah <laughs> all right that's what they call fucked up then <laughs> Yeah, man. So uh, you're right. It's glad that they're putting it out there. But I saw the effect it had when they told patients directly, hey, you just have a disease. It's not your fault. No, you know, none of it's your fault. It's the fact you have it. It's not all the trauma you've been through, the poverty you've lived in, the trauma, abuse and experience you, you had in your childhood life, etc. It's none of that. It's uh, you're just weak and powerless. Yeah, I think you, you got to walk down the middle where it's uh yes some of it is choices people make and some of it is uh something deeper yeah that rat park experiment is something i always lean back toward you know when they uh took the rats and put them in that massive disney world park if you will and 98 percent of the rats basically avoided the cocaine or the ones that did uh use the cocaine eventually came off of it and they joined the social disney world of rats if you will and totally put aside just by changing the social environment behavioral structure that that old experiment about the rat dying of uh, dehydration in the cage of cocaine puts all that shit to bed. Yeah, well, I did hear one interesting thing on, uh, I don't remember what, some NPR program, but it was about a, a drug, and I guess there were lawsuits about this, but it was a drug that kind of, you know, in the, in the small print would say one of the side effects, it was a drug for something else, one of the side effects could be gambling addiction. And this woman, uh, you know, didn't really real didn't never thought that this uh, prescription she's on could uh, you know could cause that but so she went gambling a little she's an older woman she had a retirement she'd you know all this money saved up to live on retirement or and slowly but surely became so addicted to gambling that she uh that she lost everything lost her uh, maybe her husband left her lost her house and everything and then eventually they find out that this uh this drug she's on is is basically you know uh cutting the wire that that, that would have stopped her mental processes from uh from just falling into gambling addiction uh which uh, which tells you a lot about how the brain is wired and and how uh how these things you know just that a drug can cause that is pretty crazy yeah man it's a roll of the dice with those um psychopharmaceutical drugs man i mean they're really cocktailing the whole thing man it, it gets wild when you really see what they're doing man yeah it is some drugs uh, can some prescription Drugs can help people if they're done right and if it's tested right and all that shit, and a lot of them don't. Yeah, man. I don't want to take all the time talking about drugs, but uh, <laughs> um, not that I have anything against them either. But, um, you know, I really wanted to kind of climb in your head for a half an hour if I could before you leave, man. And, um, you know, 
what are some of the stories that brought you to this point of your life at, at being, you know, the, the activist, the comedian, you're really a change maker, man. What are some of the most influential stories that brought you here? Stories meaning topics, uh, issues? Um, no, things that happened in your life. Things well, that, um, uh, yeah. yeah um, I mean, I, I don't know quite why I, you know, I guess some people care enough to be an activist and some people don't. And I don't really know what it is that, that drove me there. I mean, obviously some of it's empathy. I think some people have a stronger sense of empathy and some people have a lesser sense of empathy. You know, empathy is on a sliding scale and some people see a guy kick a dog and don't give a shit. And some people want to save the dog. So it, uh, it, 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 it's, you know, it's just, it's kind of weird like that. But in terms of the other stuff, I, you know, I wanted to be a comedian since I was little, or I wanted to be a comedy writer since I was little. And then uh, I started performing at 17, 18 and, and performed in college and got on stage as much as I could and kept growing. But my stuff wasn't political back then. It was, uh, it was observational, as they say, Seinfeld style stuff. Uh, have you ever noticed stuff? <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I still think like, you know, there, there are some good comedians doing that kind of stuff, but, uh, I, I felt like I kind of grew out of it and I got to be in my mid twenties and uh, was becoming more of an activist, even off the stage. And, and then just wanted to bring it into my standup because I, I just felt like, you know, there's very few professions where you get to have a voice where you get to be on a stage and talk to people. And I, I felt like if I was going to do it, I wanted to say something at least somewhat important. So, uh, it kind of grew from there. Um, and you know, these things feed off each other. So my activism fed off my comedy and my comedy fed off my activism. And then I'm meeting more activists and people I really respect and impre impressed by. And, and, you know, so that, that feeds on itself. And, and, you know, you, you start, you start reading some of the greatest, uh, thinkers of our time and, and, uh, you start learning a lot and you got to want to do that. I mean, I'm lucky that I have a profession where I can go read a, uh, a book by, you know, Noam Chomsky or Jeremy Scahill or who have you. And, uh, it's useful in my career. Whereas for some people that, you know, unfortunately have to work at a bank to make ends meet or whatever, work at the fast food place. It's, it's tough to want to sit down and read some of this shit, but once you start reading it, you, you learn it and you're growing and it just, it all, it all uh, snowballs. Oh man. I love it. I, I'm, I'm a believer that, you know, when we see competence out like that through interest that we naturally feel that it can grow and have this spark into a passion, you know, and you can feed that passion every day with more competence. Absolutely. You got to feed it. You got to keep growing. I think, I think, uh, you know, pride and ignorance is one of the most <laughs> horrible cancers we have in this society. It's like, you know, it's one thing to be dumb and really be like not not proud of it. You know, like uh, I just say, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I haven't, I haven't, you know, had the time in my life, unfortunately, to get the education I need to educate myself. But, but the pride in that, and and you know, the fucking Jersey Shore, uh, and I mean the TV show, not the not the actual Jersey Shore, but the Jersey Shore style uh, people in this society that are just so super proud of being morons. That's that's the type of shit that'll drive you nuts. Oh, it does, man. And the social media place is almost like a, a, a haven to, to read those things. Sometimes it's hard to even scale through, you know, some of the posts and things you see people reading. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of trolls out there, although I, you know, I talked about in the show uh, for the for your listeners who don't know, my TV show is called Redacted Tonight. We have a new episode coming out tonight. And uh, I talk in, in the show tonight about how obviously there's a lot of idiots on social media but without that social media we wouldn't be getting 
the, the, the informed, enlightened uh, audience that that is growing in this country. I mean, I talk a little bit about Indigenous Peoples Day and how a lot of people are calling it that rather than Columbus Day, and 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 I think that's because you know most people now know that that you know Columbus well a didn't make the discoveries that we all used to give him credit for but on top of that uh killed a lot of people and these these are his own journals where he's writing home talking about how he can massacre people and enslave them and and they're, they're, that's in his own handwriting that's not some uh some scientist looking at bone fragments um so so i think people learn that and slowly it's like oh maybe 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 columbus day in the best idea but, you know, how did we go for whatever, I don't know when we started celebrating Columbus Day, but 100 years or whatever, uh, how did we go that long and all of a sudden now there seems to be a movement to stop to stop doing that? Well, it's because we, in a lot of ways, are becoming more informed than we've ever been before. You can't, you know, it used to be before the internet, someone could say, oh, Columbus uh, said he killed people. And you're like, I don't believe that. And you'd never see anything that said otherwise. But now you can fucking Google it right now and, and read Columbus's journal and see the passages saying he enslaved and killed people. Oh, and that's that competence, man. I love it. I mean, it's the fact that you and I can talk like this, you know, that you can spread that message. I mean, when you when you did that Columbus thing, it hit home for me. I'm I'm 50 percent Croatian, Native American oh, right. uh, or Virginia tribe. Yes, I actually used a picture that you would uh, use that day on Instagram. But that really hits home. And, and you speak to that competence that's allowed to spread so quickly. And I mean, and you're part of that, man. I mean, I call people like you competence feeders. And I mean, you're you're where I get my competence. You know, I, I encourage people to share the competence. And you're right. I, I think people do got to post the dumb shit because it makes the conversation, right? <laughs> I don't know if they have to post it. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's going to be out there and, and you kind of you kind of got to ignore the trolls unless they uh, sound like they know what they're talking about. And then maybe they're not a troll. Maybe they're just someone with a good point and you, and you got to let some of that shit in too. But um, yeah. I, 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 and you know, of course it's a sad thing. It's a sad statement on our humanity that, that people when they're online are willing to treat each other like shit. But the moment you put them in a room together, they're generally not, you know, calling them fucking slut bags or whatever they write on people's Twitter accounts. Motherfuckers get creative. Yeah, so I think we have to, in that way, we have to evolve into, hey, let's be let's behave online pretty much the same way we behave if, if people were in the room, and th and that has to do with evolution. You know, we we evolved over all these years to deal with people one on one, and now we have this separation where it's online and it's distant, and you just see a name next to a avatar, and and it, you know, what the fuck do I care if that avatar gets gets their feelings hurt or whatever? So. So yeah, hopefully we'll uh, we'll slowly evolve to have some empathy for for people that you're not standing next to. I agree. I love that I mean, empathy. The same line. thing goes. The same, and this goes for other technologies such as drone bombing. It's like if someone's dying next to you, you don't care what fucking color their skin color is. You usually, pretty much everyone's going to try and help them. Just about everybody on this planet would try and help someone dying next to them. But meanwhile, everybody's like, yeah, go ahead, drone bomb all day long. We don't care if they're hitting innocent civilians. We don't care. You know, there's new uh, papers were just leaked yesterday by The Intercept showing basically that these drone bombs, they kill a lot, like tons of innocent civilians. But the military just pretends that anyone anywhere near who someone who might be a terrorist must also be a terrorist or an enemy combatant. So, you know, you're talking about a fucking dude. Let's say let's say for the sake of argument, let's say he is some kind of serial murderer some horrible person this drone bomb goes down on him blows up a store or a wedding party or whatever the fuck 
and ever and then they reported as enemy combatants. No, it was a it was a family. And if those people were next to you, you wouldn't you wouldn't behave this way. So it's like they were they remove the humanity out of what's actually happening. Oh, they absolutely do. And actually, also one in these leaked documents, which I recommend people check 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 out uh, at the Intercept. Um, speaking of removing the humanity, this whistleblower said that in the, they decide where they're getting later in the process of deciding they want to bomb someone, they want to assassinate someone with a drone, uh, looking at the intelligence, they stop using a name and they start using a number or maybe a code name or something. And he and this whistleblower says that's basically designed to take away the guy's humanity because they're about to put a kill order out on this guy and they don't want him to have a name. Man, same way with the prison number, right? You get a prison number, you lose the name and you disappear. Right. It was patented during the Holocaust. Oh, sad. You know, speaking of those issues, I wanted to ask you, I mean, you cover so many topics on Redacted Tonight and A Moment of Clarity, your podcast. I mean, uh, there's tons of them. Are there, uh, you know, I, I read an article, a great article they did about you and how you helped a, a man off the death row. And I know that being so and so many stories you cover, are there any one or two stories that you focus on outside of Redacted Tonight, kind of in your activism or... Uh, any one or two stories that really push you uh, to keep going with Redacted and the things you're doing? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I we do try and cover a lot. Um, just real quick about that, uh, about uh, the death penalty. Uh, I, I have focused a, a, a lot on the death penalty as much as I can um, because I feel like that's such a, a, a small visceral issue. It's such an easy issue because it's not it's not really a large I cover a lot of large, dense issues, and that one's not one of them. It's it's just straight up. There's it's insane for us to be murdering people. Several, you know, several of them. About they estimate roughly four percent of them are innocent, um, and it's and it's a, a horrible, ra racist, antiquated uh, system that we have. But uh, that the guy you're referring to, uh, I was part of a uh, a group, large group of people that that fought to have him. Uh, uh, get him off death row, and and luckily he's still alive today. But uh, I, I do. I I mean, I haven't been able to focus as much on singular issues. Um, doing redacted tonight has has kind of forced me to take a wide angle view. But uh, and you know, so my my stand up was like that for years, and and still is. So, um, but there's definitely issues that keep coming back around because they are the center of the evil, such as. Um, money and politics. Uh, T TPP, the Trans Pacific Partnership, is a very large one that I've been talking about for four years. And then it was hilarious because CNN and the other media they real suddenly realized, as if out of the blue, that this thing existed about a month ago. You know, I've been I've been doing videos on it for three years about basically it's for those who haven't heard of it. It's a corporate takeover. A, it really is creating kind of a corporate world government uh, in a lot of sense. And a lot of ways, and uh, and they they're getting ready to to slam it through Congress. And uh, I, 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 three years ago, I was doing videos on it, and and now you know a month ago, CNN acted like what what is this what is this new trade deal? Oh, let's talk about it. Um, yeah, I saw you all over social media, man. When they they picked it up, and you've been the only one. I mean, you're also where I found out about it in detail. I shared your video. Heck, it inspired me to to just tell my people close to me, you know, 
I mean, that was huge you doing that, man. I mean, it, it really is. If, could you explain a, a little bit to the listeners and kind of your view of what, what it is? I, mean, I know a global takeover, but corporate takeover. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, trade deals in general, uh, and you can you know learn this from much smarter people than me, such as uh, Chomsky or Hedges, but trade deals in general are designed to minimize, quote unquote, the risk of democracy for corporations. Corporations hate democracy because democracy can put them in a position where they want something, they want profit, and if people in a town say, hey, we know it's profitable for you to pollute our water, but we're not cool with that. We don't want our kids dying of cancer. And corporations don't like that. That, that gets in their way. That stops them from making profit. You know, just look at the cigarettes and, and how they put misinformation about cigarettes killing people for so many years. Just look at the oil companies. You know, it's just coming out now that they've been funding a lot of this uh, climate change denial. I mean, people always suspected it, but it's, uh, it's coming out now how much money they've put into that shit. And it's, uh, it, it, so they don't like democracy. So in order to stop that, they used, quote unquote, trade deals. Now, people hear the word trade deals and they think, oh, I don't care about trade. It is trade deals, a euphemism. It 70 percent or more of this document, thousands and thousands of page document is not about trade. It's about all kinds of things, patent rights, net neutrality, uh, all kinds of laws, whether a country can decide their own water rights or whether a corporation can sue them for not letting the corporation pollute enough, you know. So, so a, a corporation in, in fucking uh, uh, Australia, for example, decides that they want to pollute more in our country and they're not allowed to because of our laws. They then sue at an international tribunal of corporate judges, uh, nothing to do with America, international. And those judges, those corporate judges say, uh, oh, yeah, you got to let them pollute. And so it, it completely gives up our power as a nation to make our own laws, our power as states to make our own laws. Um, and, and you know, there's lawmakers who have said this. Representative Alan Grayson is one of them. Uh, Bernie Sanders is another. And and uh, people, people have been ignoring this for a long time now, and it's in its final stages. And here's the thing. If you look at the last trade deal, last major trade deal we did, NAFTA, uh, people are calling this one NAFTA on steroids. NAFTA uh, lost millions of jobs for America push down wage prices, you know, wages have stayed completely the same over the past 30, 40 years, 30 years, I guess. And, uh, and it's terrible for workers. It's all, it's all terrible for workers, great for corporations, because corporations do very well, same with, with the stock market. Corporations do very well when workers are struggling, because you don't have the power as a worker to tell them what you want. You can't demand insurance. You can't demand better wages. That's great for them. So corporations are always doing great when they can run to the cheapest labor, which is what this allows them to do. You know, they can go to the, the country that, that has the cheapest labor. And, and uh, this is a, a full-on race to the bottom, as they call it. And basically, the politicians who are for this are jumping up and down going, hey, we can win this race. Oh, my. <laughs> if that doesn't motivate somebody to get out and start speaking about the the trade pacific partnership deal i don't know what is people i mean well, this is serious it, shit and it comes down to uh money and politics because these these politicians as congress and everything they wouldn't pass these things they wouldn't be for these things if they didn't have their corporate backers um uh, uh telling them telling them what to do but you know uh but really it starts before that these 
these people are in elected office because a corporation got behind them and said, this guy likes corporations or he likes ours and he's going to help us in Congress. So most of these people, it's not that they suddenly changed because they saw a bag of money out, out front their door. Most of them are only in office because they were already uh, given corporate handies under the table. And then they come out richer than they were even when they before they went in. Yeah, over half of Congress is millionaires. Um, Bernie Sanders, I believe, is the only non-millionaire running for president in the two-party ridiculous system. Of course, there's third-party candidates that are, are great, like Jill Stein, but uh, you're not going to hear much about that from the media. And for those uh, who want to see our media in all of its glory, uh, watch how it how it undermines a candidate that it doesn't like, a non-corporate candidate. And look, I have plenty of issues about with, with Bernie Sanders. I'm not acting like he's the fucking messiah. But the, corporate America does not like Bernie Sanders. Wall Street does not like Bernie Sanders. They, he doesn't take super PAC money, so he's not on their payroll. And they fucking hate him. And for a while, they were just kind of entertaining it like, oh, look, isn't that interesting? But now it's getting serious, all right? Now it's getting to a point where he could legitimately beat Hillary Clinton, and it's scaring the fuck out of them. And you watch our media. So you have this last presidential debate, which all the polls, CNN's own polls that they showed on their website said Bernie Sanders won 85 or 83% to 12%. So Bernie Sanders, by the online poll, pummeled Hillary Clinton, not even close, 80% to 12%. But then every article on CNN, every commentator says Hillary won. So how is it that these fucking elite mainstream media goons can say Hillary won over and over again while Bernie is winning every poll, every Twitter poll, every he's winning the, the fundraising in terms of number of people giving. He's not winning in terms of corporate massive donations, but and and you watch these the media conglomerates say, hey, it's time to get rid of this candidate. We we are going to lie blatantly to you in order to make sure this candidate stops winning. And now most of America probably believes Hillary won the debate because they've seen CNN ranting and raving. And not just CNN, but MSNBC and PBS I saw doing it. And uh, yeah. yeah, saying Hillary won this debate. Yeah, and Fox is taking down going after Bernie too. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it, seems, it like seems like all Fox was doing that. Um, you know, and they start using all these terms. Oh, he's wild-eyed. He didn't look presidential. And you're like, did you hear a fucking word he said? Or you just want to, you know, make fun of his, his hairstyle? Yeah. 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 No, with, with all crazy echo. Right now. Is that you? Uh, I don't have an echo. All right. It's just my crazy equipment. Might be in your head. Been there for a while. <laughs> Uh, you know, with all that being said, what what's your view on you know nationally and globally? I mean, how do you see it? You know, through the eyes of the league camp, what what do you see in the future? You see the state of us now, kind of a national and global view. Well, in the small minded view, I think that America is losing our empire um, because we don't we don't have slavery anymore. We don't corporations are jumping ship and go. They have no. They have no national identity. A corporation doesn't. They go wherever it's cheapest. You know, Google has, uh, at least they were based in Ireland because they got a huge tax break there. So they're going to go wherever it's cheapest. So America's losing our empire. And now we're trying to solidify global economies with things like TPP and try and give us a, a, a leg up in, in holding on to an empire. But that's the small-minded view. Uh, and it's, it's all, all of that's true. But to look at the bigger picture, we as a species are 
are quickly destroying the planet we're, we're able to live on. It's, it's dying more quickly every minute. The, uh, we're in the middle of a, great, a mass extinction. Uh, over 50% of mammals uh, have died over the past something like 40 years, or maybe it's 40% over 50 years, can't remember. But it's a, a mass extinction. And we are, uh, we're, we are eliminating our ability to continue to live on this planet quickly, very quickly. And the, the, all this small-minded stuff is, it's nothing. It's bickering. It's chatter. It's, you know, you, oh, are we going to let an immigrant in? Is Kim Davis allowed to sign a marriage license? And all that shit. I mean, look, I want, yes, I want gay people to get married. Absolutely. What a fucking joke. Of course they should be getting married. But we should be looking at the big picture. And this planet is dying, and we're gonna either we go either we go one way and drastically change the way things work, drastically change our economy. Think about things like a resource-based economy or some other system that is outside of the paradigm that we're used to, and we find a way to live sustainably on this planet, or we will. This planet will be unlivable in you know 50 years or whatever, 100 years, probably 50 years till uh, till things get really ugly, and then maybe 100 till you. Till it till it's a fucking catastrophe, but um, it's and, and so in the bigger picture, it's like what are we fucking talking about? <laughs> like, like to sit here to sit here with this two party system, both of which are living inside a very small box of thought, and never get outside of it, never see anything. Nothing's allowed on the mainstream airwaves that uh, that thinks even slightly outside of this little paradigm. Uh, and, and, and luckily it does seem like, like I was saying earlier, it does seem like people are waking up, people are looking outside of that paradigm. People are realizing that, that our media is a joke and, uh, and they're growing and, and they're getting it from, uh, from places like your show and my show redacted tonight. And, and, you know, even though it's comedy, it, it luckily opens people up to a lot of new issues and, and, uh, people are just looking outside of the main sources. And I think that's going to keep growing. I hope. I, I do. I, I hope we do it in time, man. You know, I, I have a 15 year old daughter and I and I worry sometimes about looking back and going, you know, them looking at you going, what the fuck did you do? Why didn't you do anything? Uh, you know, my my dad already does that. He like he, he he's really like kind of hates his generation because he said, we you know, we fucked it all up and now we're passing it off to you guys. And it's it's really, truly fucked. And uh, and, and, you know, and then our generation is going to say the same thing uh, 30 years from now if we don't fucking turn around yeah you know and i know you got to run man so with the last question i guess with all this stuff being said and you know what's your life philosophy and what drives you daily well two i'd say two things drive me daily when people ask me why i don't get burnt out I'm, well part of it is because i i luckily get to do comedy so i i don't have to just sit here and be serious all day i get to have some fun with it uh so I think that helps. So I, I definitely, you know, I, I don't recommend people spend their whole day just fuming about this shit. You got to find some kind of release. You got to, you know, at least go masturbate or something. But uh, <laughs> get some of the anger out. But uh, I'd say two things keep me keep me going. One is that I think small acts do make a difference. Small acts can change the world. And actually, uh, ironically, tonight the the episode that'll air tonight. Um, by the way, all my shits, all my episodes are also on YouTube. So anybody can go to youtube.com slash redacted tonight or leecamp.net and watch this stuff. But the episode that airs tonight, I open with a thing about how small acts 
led to all the great change we think about in the world, the biggest movements you can imagine, you know, Gandhi getting freedom for India and Martin Luther King getting civil rights and all this stuff started very small. The Boston Tea Party was about tea taxes. All of it starts very small. And so it, almost always, uh, I mean, maybe there's, you know, there's, there's, there's some rare instances where someone said, yeah, I'm going to fucking change the world and, and just started at the top. Um, but, but in, in most instances, things start small. So small acts really do have a, make a difference. Um, you mentioned that, that death penalty thing earlier, like that made me realize that, uh, you know, I was, I was part of a very small group. It wasn't even a national issue. People talking about this guy and the fact that just a handful of people could, uh, could save a guy's life on death row, um, really impacted me and made me realize that, that small acts are, are, can be huge acts. And, uh, so, so I think that's part of what keeps me going. And the other half is, uh, here's the more cynical, uh, reason that I, that I keep fighting as I like to say on my show, um, is that as, as Chris Hedges said, I don't fight fascism because I think I will win. I fight fascism because it's fascism. I mean, what are you going to do? What, yeah. Of course, of course you're going to fight it. So what do you want to not go down swinging someone punching you in the face? You're just going to be like, oh, all right, let him punch. No, I don't care if the guy's seven feet tall, 900 pounds. I'm going to fucking take some swings. You know, as as a, I had a little friend when I was in college, and he was about to get his ass kicked by a guy who was about six foot five. This guy's five four. And the five four guy said to the guy, he goes, he goes, listen, you're going to win this fight, but I'm going to take out a couple of teeth. And the guy backed down because he didn't want to lose a couple of teeth. It's like... <laughs> Like, I, you know, I feel like that's what at least throw a punch. You you got to. And and I feel like, man, that that's what your show screams to me. That's what I'm trying to scream at the cognitive rampage, you know, is maybe not just wake up, but you know, like you will say, keep fighting, throw a fucking punch, do <laughs> something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Lee, man, I know you gotta run, brother. I thank you so much for coming on the rampage, man. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. I appreciate what you do. And if people want to check out my stuff, like I said, it's LeeCamp.net. Uh, we also tape with a live audience here in Washington, D.C. Anybody can come for free. It's uh, it, You can get the info at LeeCamp.net, but uh, the, the email, the address you need to email is redactedtics, T-I-X, at gmail.com. Um, that's also where you can find out about our New York show. We're coming this first time we've ever done this. We're doing a big New York live show, live stand-up comedy. Uh, Caroline's Comedy Club, November twentieth. So, and it's free. It's free, uh, free, free booze and free tickets. So, uh, if anyone wants to come to that, just email redactedticks at gmail dot com, or you can get all that info at leecamp dot net. Sweet. Please look up Lee Camp. I love this guy, man. I friends now. I see on an activist level, man. Thank you for everything that you do. Keep fighting, as you say. I love that. It's hard not to steal that shit, man. <laughs> Thanks, man. Keep fighting yourself. <laughs> yeah, I'll keep swinging, man. But um, I appreciate it. Uh, maybe I can uh, shoot up to DC, man. I'd love to watch a live show, man. That'd be cool. Yeah, that'd be great. We have a tiny little audience. We're, we're, we're no daily show. Uh, we have a tiny little audience. Uh, it's not like 200 people. And we all grab drinks afterwards at a bar. So it's a, it's a great hang. So. Shit. I'm going to have to come up to DC, man. Absolutely. Uh, Lee, thank you, man. Um, I'll be watching tonight as always. Everybody tune in. Um, redacted tonight on YouTube, eight o'clock, right?
Well, yeah, they, they, they can find it all on YouTube, but it airs live at 8 p.m. Eastern on uh, RT America is the TV channel. Um, if you don't have that on your TV, then you can live stream it. You just watch it online at 8 p.m. If you Google uh, RT America live stream, you'll find that link. Beautiful, man. Thanks again, Lee, and um, keep swinging, brother. Thank you. Thank you, man. Take care, man. All right, later. Hey, I want you to check out uh, another podcast that I listen to uh, with two friends of mine. Uh, that's my buddy Chris Fisher and his friend Jesse Cage in the FNK podcast. You can catch them at um, fisherandcage.com, but uh, look them up on iTunes. They're a great podcast. I love listening to the fellas each week, but that's the FNK podcast. We're sponsored today by Counseling and Psychological Services of Central Florida. That's cpscfl.com. It's a private counseling practice backed by Dr. Parker Mott, uh, a psychologist who offers comprehensive services, individual counseling, children, couples, family, depression, grief, the list goes on and on. Anything in the mental health realm that you could be dealing with, Counseling and Psychological Services of Central Florida can meet those needs for you. You can find them at cpscfl.com. They're at 310 Dillard Street, Suite 190 in Winter Garden, Florida. You can reach the office directly at 407 347 0661. That's Counseling and Psychological Services of Central Florida, CPSCFL.com, providing high-quality therapeutic services in a professional and comfortable setting.